Today we are uh, excited that we're going to be wrapping up our series entitled Only Believe. And uh, three weeks ago we began this journey together and we began talking about what would it look like, how do we embrace faith in a world of fear? Because we are constantly bombarded every day of our lives, the circumstances, the situations of life and living are seemingly constantly coming at us, and we are being confronted with issues and challenges that if we're not really careful can drive us into a place of fear. We become overcome by worry and anxiety and dread, and we begin to move into all kind of things that really do rob us of the joy and the peace that Jesus Christ has for us. I was just thinking this morning about how so many times, if we are not careful, how fear, the fear of tomorrow, the fear of what might be, all the little what-ifs in life, right? Well, what if this happens, and what if this happens, and what if this doesn't work out? All those little what-ifs about what might happen tomorrow actually rob us of the joy of today, right? We can't enjoy what we have, who we have, who's with us today because we're so consumed with the what-ifs of tomorrow. So I want to encourage you this morning as we talk about this shift, how do we embrace faith in a world of fear, how important this is because it really does, not only does it enable us to step into the promises of God, but it actually enables us to begin to enjoy our life today, to enjoy who we have and where we are, right? Praise God we're not where we're going to be. Praise God. God, we're not where we're used, we used to be, amen, but praise God, we can actually enjoy where we are at on the way to where we're going, and that only happens when you and I really begin to operate out of a spirit of faith where we begin to believe God for who He is and what He has promised in our lives. So this morning, let's look together in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, we're going to read verses 25 through 26. The Bible says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And she had suffered many things from many physicians, and she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the, in the crowd and touched his garment. For she had said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Let me just pause there for a second. Isn't it great to know that not only we're talking about faith, but you know what? Isn't it great to know that we have a God that we can feel? Right? She felt in her body. She felt the power of God. She felt the presence of God. She tangibly, physically encountered the Lord in a powerful way. And I just want to encourage you today, as we live by faith, right? We're not living by feelings, but I am so thankful that when we begin to move by faith, we actually get to feel the presence of God. And if you've ever felt His presence and you've ever felt the touch of heaven as God moves upon us, it is an amazing thing. It's actually addictive, right? Yeah, if you're going to be addicted to something, let's be addicted to the presence of God. And so the Bible says that this woman felt in her body that something had changed. She had been healed of her affliction. Verse 30, and Jesus immediately knowing in Himself that power had gone out of him, turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But when the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Y'all say that with me. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, that's Jairus is his name, 
And they said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, <clears throat> he said to the ruler of the synagogue, let's say it together, do not be afraid, what? Only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. And so if you look at that first point on your outline, we said a few weeks ago as we began to talk through this message together that what we believe really does determine what we receive. What we believe determines what we receive. And faith and fear are both forms of belief, right? We said if you're in faith, then you are believing the report of the Lord, right? You're believing that God is good, that God is faithful, that He's working all things together for your good. If you're in fear, right, then you've believed the report of the enemy, right? That nothing's going to work out and things aren't going to come together and you don't have any confidence or assurance about what's going to come in your life. And all of a sudden, what really happens consistently in our lives is what we believe we actually receive. Right? If I'm in a place of faith and I believe that God is good and He's able to work all things together for my good, then in the midst of even unfavorable, difficult, sometimes horrible circumstances, God still comes through. And I have found out, and you have too if you think about your life, that when you've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, David said this, right? When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. Why? For thy rod and thy staff, they come from me. You know without a shadow of doubt this morning that when you've walked through the valley of the shadow of doubt and you had faith that God was good and that He was for you, somehow in the midst of that horrible circumstance, you found life. Somehow, in the midst of that horrible circumstance, you discovered the grace of God to be more real than you had ever encountered before in your life. And you came out on the other side. I'm just going to promise you, I've walked through some things I never want to walk through again. But I am thankful that I walked through them. Because I realized it was in those moments, in those valleys of death, so to speak, that I encountered by faith, I was able to receive and know God in a way that I had never known Him before. Right? I love the mountaintop experiences, right? I love, I love those feel-good moments. I love when I'm on a high. I love all those things. But I've recognized that there are some things that I can learn about God on the mountain, and there are some things I can learn about God in the valley. And I need both. Yes, yes. And I need to be able to live in a place of faith, whether I'm on the mountain or whether I'm in the valley, whether I'm on top of the world or whether I feel like the world is trying to crush me down and extinguish my existence. If I can learn how to embrace faith consistently in the midst of every circumstance and every situation, I can encounter God and receive from Him the good things that He has even in the midst of difficult or even horrible or even tragic circumstances. God is faithful, amen? amen? And He is able to intervene and work in our lives. So what we believe, we receive. Now look at that next statement. We said that faith anticipates the future and that fear dreads the future. And really the simplest way to measure whether I'm in faith or whether I'm in fear is to just look at that little simple statement. Faith anticipates the future, right? If I'm in faith, I'm anticipating the fact that God is going to work for my good. If I'm in faith, I'm anticipating the fact that somehow, some way, God's going to turn this thing around and I'm going to come out on the other side with the victory of Jesus Christ. But if I am in fear, 
If I'm in fear, I begin to dread, right? I dread my job. I dread my family. I dread tomorrow. I dread tonight. I just begin to dread life. I dread paying the bills, and I dread going to work, and I dread coming home from work. And all of a sudden, the fear of the enemy robs me of the joy of the Lord, and it puts me in a place where I am no longer able to receive the good things that God has for me. So the easiest way to assess our faith is to evaluate our lives and say, hey, am I in a place of anticipation where I'm believing God for good things, or am I in a place of fear where I'm beginning to dread my life? And we, we made reference to this last week. One of the most significant things or one of the greatest purposes of counseling, if you ever thought about counseling ministry, when we counsel people, we counsel people with the Word of God. And when you think about counseling for a minute, think about it for just a second. When you come in and you meet with a counselor, and hopefully it's a Christian counselor, and you got somebody that's encouraging you in the ways of God, or maybe you're just seeking godly counsel from a friend or another believer, think about it for just a minute. When you meet with that person, you sit down for 45 minutes for an hour, and you talk together, and you pray together, and hopefully they're encouraging you in the Word, and the reality is, is in that one hour time, your circumstances do not change. Your financial situation does not change. Your family relationships do not change. In that one hour of time, nothing outside of you changes. But isn't it amazing that when you sit down with somebody and they take you to the Word of God and they encourage you through prayer, all of a sudden, even though nothing has changed, you know everything has changed. Right? And you get up and you walk out of that time with a spirit of what happened, with a spirit of faith. Now, you walk out of there because you walked in there discouraged because you had moved to a place of fear. And you walk out encouraged because you've now shifted to a place of faith where you're actually anticipating God to do something good. And that's a powerful thing because it changes everything because it changes us. Amen? So how do we embrace faith in a world of fear? How do we embrace faith in a world of fear? Well, number one, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We said we have to embrace Jesus, right? If we're going to embrace faith in a world of fear, we're going to have to, number one, embrace Jesus. I just want to kind of just read a scripture to you. I think they've got it on the screen. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Right? Verse 5 goes on and says, Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is is the Son of God. So I've got to embrace Jesus, right? When I embrace Jesus, I want you to see that. Let's just remember together, right? It is our belief in Him that initiates faith over fear, right? We talked about last week that the facts are not our enemy, right? The facts inform us, but only God has the right to define us. The facts inform us, and it's really important that we get the facts, right? Because when you get the facts about what is happening in your life or in your family or in your finances, the facts empower you to fight efficiently. Number one of the number one strategies of warfare is that you need to know your enemy. Because if you don't know who you're fighting, you're going to have a hard time strategizing an efficient plan to defeat the enemy and come out on the other side. So the facts inform us. But they don't define us. We're not what the world says we are. We're who God says we are. Amen? And so we begin to recognize as we embrace Jesus, what happens? The more I know Him. The Apostle Paul made this statement. He says, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. And that is powerful. Let me just encourage you in something today. Grow in your relationship with God. 
Do you really know in whom you have believed? I preached a sermon years ago. I titled it this, What Does God Like on His Hamburger? Right? Because if you know somebody, you can order their burger for them. Right? If you're ordering my burger, get it plain. If I'm ordering Levi's burger, I want ketchup and pickle. Because when you know somebody, you know what they like on their burger. Let me ask you a question. What does God like on his hamburger? Do you know God well enough that you can consider yourself an intimate friend with him? Because the more you know him, let me tell you what happens. The more you know him, the easier it is to have confidence or faith that he will do what he said he'll do. And we talked about this. We said, you know what? There are actually people in your lives. There are people in your lives that when they give you their word and they say, I'm going to be there tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock, you don't even think about it. You don't get up and worry about, are they going to show up? You know they're going to do what they said they're going to do because you know them. They are a person of integrity. They are a person of character. And when they give you their word, their word means something. So think about it. If we can have that kind of confidence in people, shouldn't we have at least that kind of confidence in God? But the challenge is, the reason we don't have that kind of confidence in God is because we know people more than we know God. And so I want to encourage you, embrace Jesus, right? And we talk about this all the time, the importance of a quiet time. Three things, I'm just going to remind you, you've heard me say it a hundred times, three things you need if you're going to have a successful relationship with Jesus, and you're going to spend time every day with Him. You need a sacred place. You need to set apart a place where you're going to meet with the Lord. You need a set time. You need to make an appointment with God, and you need a strategic plan that you're going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray for 15 minutes. I'm going to read a chapter in Psalms. I'm going to read a chapter in the New Testament every day. I'm going to read this devotional every day. You need a sacred place, a set time, and a strategic plan that's going to cultivate a relationship with God. And if you'll do that, you know what will happen? The more you embrace Him, the more you'll know Him. And the more you know Him, the easier it is that when you're confronted with the facts to move to a place of faith instead of a place of fear, because you know in whom you have believed. Amen? The second thing, and we talked about this last week, how do we embrace faith in a world of fear? We embrace the Word of God, right? We stand on and we war with the Word of God. And we said Romans chapter 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. So how do I embrace faith? I embrace Jesus, and then I embrace the Word of God. The Word of God is the foundation stone upon which I stand. God said, right, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, Jesus confronted temptation. He confronted the enemy with, it is written. He didn't say, I think, or so-and-so said. Jesus did not say, well, Pastor Key said. <laughs> Pastor Key said don't mean nothing. Jesus said means everything. It is written, right? It is written. Jesus used the Word of God. He stood upon and He warred with the Word of God, right? We read Psalms chapter 2 last week that says, I will declare the decree that God has spoken to me. We war with the Word of God. Guess what? Let me just say it to you again. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Why? Because the more you know the Word, the more you know the God of the Word, and the more efficient you are in standing upon and declaring and decreeing the promises that God has made for you. Many people are not walking in the promises of God because they are ignorant of them. They just don't know. 
Many people are not engaged in a place of faith. Many people are not warring for their families because they don't know what the Word of God promises about their children and their grandchildren. And they've allowed the world to sweep them away, and they've allowed fear to come into their heart, and they feel like they're victims of their circumstances instead of victors through the blood of Jesus. And so I encourage you, embrace Jesus, right? Embrace the Word. When I stand on the Word, when I war with the Word, when I declare the Word, I am in a place of faith, right? It's not my feeling. It is faith because I am declaring what God says. Now let's look at our third point. This is where we're going to hang out today. How do we embrace faith in a world of fear? We embrace obedience. We embrace obedience. We're going to learn today, you already know this, right? Faith without works is dead. You guys are smart. Faith without works is dead. So how are we going to embrace faith? We're going to embrace faith by embracing obedience, right? Obedience precedes the blessing of God. If you went through our growth track and you sat under Miss Jackie and Mr. Kevin, you have learned, right, that obedience precedes the blessing. Obedience precedes the blessing, right? And we recognize we have to obey. Why do we have to embrace obedience? Because we've learned through this series that faith doesn't move God. God's already moved. Jesus has already died. He's already resurrected. He's already sent the Holy Spirit. He's already decreed and declared the Word. God has already done everything He needs to do for you to get everything that you need from Him. He has divinely deposited all of heaven's resources in an account with your name on it. Right? I mean, you are sitting on a fortune. And the access code is faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the key that unlocks the vaults of heaven and allows us to access the resources that God has purchased and paid for through the blood of His Son Jesus that enables us to take advantage of what God has freely given to us, right? Faith doesn't move God. Faith moves us. When you read Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith, right, you find out that faith moved them. By faith, right, by faith they conquered cities. By faith they conquered the enemy. By faith Noah built an ark. By faith Abraham offered his child. By faith Sarah conceived and received strength to have a child. By faith and by faith they did something, right? Their faith moved them to action. And obedience precedes the blessing of God. Let me give you a scripture. It's not on the screen. It's Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 says this, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. When do we receive the promise? After we have done the will of God. After we have done the will of God of God, right? Obedience precedes the blessing of God. We receive the promise after we have done the will of God. And it's kind of like with our children. Think about it just simply with your own kids, right? We use, uh, we don't reward our children for their disobedience. We reward our children for their obedience, If you do what you're supposed to do, then you get to go out tonight. If you do what you're supposed to do, you get to play the video game. If you do what you're supposed to do, then you get to do this, right? Are we manipulating our children? Absolutely not. You know what we're doing? We are teaching and training our children in the way that they should go. 
that obedience produces the blessing of God, disobedience brings the curse of sin, and you're going to reap whatever life you choose to live. And so God is not dangling the promises of God like a carrot in front of us trying to manipulate and lead us down a path we don't want to go. No, God has placed the promises of God in front of us, and He has declared that you can receive the promises after you've done the will of God. Obedience precedes the blessing of God. What is God doing? He is trying to teach and train us in the way that we should go so we can step in and walk in and receive from Him every good and every perfect gift that He has for us. So faith doesn't move God. Faith moves us to a place of obedience. So let's look in James chapter 2. Very familiar scripture. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? So you see that faith by itself isn't enough. It isn't enough just to believe, right? If my theology doesn't become a reality, then it doesn't produce fruit. If what I believe about God doesn't become a reality in what and how I live my life, then it doesn't produce fruit. Faith by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see his faith, look at this statement, his faith and his actions worked together. His faith and his actions did what? Y'all say it with me. Worked together. His faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. It brought his faith, his actions brought his faith to a place of perfection and completion where he could receive the promise that God had made. Now look at the next verse. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is, so also faith is dead without good works. So I want you to look at this next screen, the next point on your slide. I want to give you just a little formula of faith. Right here it is. Belief plus, y'all didn't know you were going to get a math class today, did you? <laughs> Belief plus corresponding action equals faith. Belief plus corresponding action equals faith. If I have a belief but there is no corresponding action, then I'm really not in faith. Because faith moves me to action. Faith moves me to action. Now, if you talk to people, we believe a lot of stuff, right? You just talk to people, listen to people. We believe all kind of stuff. And if you're a Christian, we really believe a lot of stuff. We believe crazy things like this. We believe that everybody needs Jesus. Do y'all believe that? We actually believe that if a person dies without a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, that they will spend eternity in a place called hell. We believe that. Do y'all believe that? But here's the problem. We say we believe it. Right? We believe everybody needs Jesus. We believe that people that die without Christ are going to hell. That's what we believe. But how many of us are actually telling people about Jesus? How many of us are actually praying for the people that we work with that don't know Jesus? How much corresponding action is there to your belief that everybody needs Jesus? 
As a matter of fact, I talk to Christians all the time. They work with unruly, ungodly, immoral people, and they start praying for them, and they pray that God will move them out of their way. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't need to move people, right? I've been in some situations where I'm thankful God moved people. But I'm saying our first prayer should not be for our comfort. If I believe that everybody needs Jesus, and that person that I'm working with probably definitely doesn't know Jesus, then surely I should begin to have enough corresponding action to go along with my faith that says I believe they need the Lord, and so instead of asking God to move them out of my way where nobody's going to tell them about Jesus, I need to ask God to begin to prepare their heart so I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them so they can be saved and not be such an annoying person. Right? I mean, know oh, Jesus just makes everybody a little bit better. He takes the annoying edge off of us because we're all just a little bit annoying, amen? So think about that. We believe, right? We believe everybody needs Jesus, but the reality is, is our belief is not manifested into faith because most of us are lacking the corresponding action. Right? I want to see people saved. I hear people say, I want to see people saved, but if you don't tell anybody about Jesus, how are they going to get saved? I believe in prayer. Well, how often do you pray? I believe the Word of God is the standard by which we should live. I believe God's Word is true. I believe God's Word is the instruction manual for my life. Then how much time are you spending in the Word? I believe the local church is the hope of the world. I believe the church is the vehicle through which God accomplishes His work in the, in the world today. And I believe the church is the vehicle through which God mobilizes the body of Christ. Well, how much money are you given to put fuel in the vehicle? If the church is the vehicle, it's got to have gas. Belief plus, belief plus corresponding action equals faith. Without works, my faith is dead. I can't have just a theology. I've got to have a theology that produces a reality. And when my theology produces a reality, when the Word is made flesh in my life, guess what happens? It produces the promises of God. Faith produces the promises of God. Faith produces the promises of God. Why? Because faith moves me to a place of obedience where I can become the vessel through which God accomplishes His work, and I am able to receive from my own obedience. Think about that. What God has promised to me. So what if I told you you were the key to your own miracle? You are the key to your own miracle. You are the key to your breakthrough. You are the key to your provision. You are the key. See, we like to make God the key, right? Well, if God would just move, we'd get this married. If God would just move, things would change. If God would just move. And God's in heaven saying, I have moved. (laughs) I have moved. Now I want you to move. I want you to initiate your faith. I want you to say you believe me and then produce a corresponding action that releases faith so that you actually become the key to your own miracle and the key to your own breakthrough. And what that does, this is awesome, what that does is that places the responsibility right back here. I stop pointing my finger, well, if my wife will do what she should do, if my husband will do what he should do, if everybody else on my job will do, and all of a sudden I realize the key to my breakthrough is me. 
And if I will let faith move me, if I will let faith move me to a place of obedience, God will work through my obedience to accomplish and produce His promises in my life, in my family, in, on my job, in my circumstances, in my church. God will work through me to accomplish those things because I'm the key to my breakthrough. And that's a powerful thought. So let's kind of break this down. I want to give you just a couple ways that we kind of embrace obedience. Number one, let's look at this. We embrace obedience when we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we are in faith, right? First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 11 is a great little verse. It says, so we keep on praying. We keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of His calling. May He give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. How many know that the promptings of our faith are in reality the promptings of the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit prompts us to action, right? He prompts us to pray. He prompts us to witness. He prompts us to give. He prompts us to serve. He prompts us to do little things, right? Isn't it amazing how you'll just be going through your day, and all of a sudden you'll just have that little prompting of the Holy Spirit? Well, you need to do that. You need to give them that. You need to say that. You need to pray for them. You need to text them an encouraging word. And guess what happens? Every time we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we are in faith. And faith produces the promises of God. Ginger talked this morning about grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit within us. When we neglect the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we quench the Spirit of God and we move from faith to fear. And instead of receiving the promise, we actually multiply the problem. And so I want to encourage you today, as a Spirit-filled believer, amen, as a Spirit-filled believer, to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to listen to those little nudges, right? God whispers. Right? God whispers. And I asked the Lord years ago, I said, God, why do you whisper? He said, so you have to lean in to hear. God whispers. He wants us to lean into Him, right? When you embrace Jesus, when you embrace the Word, guess what happens? You become attuned to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to lean in to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The second thing, I want you to see this. We're going to just flip the coin just a little bit, okay? So we, we obey when we, uh, when we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we are in faith. But when we obey the Word of God, we are in faith. And the last little statement says this, we don't have to feel led to do what He has already said. So let me just tell you something. The Holy Spirit's promptings are not intended to replace the Word. The Holy Spirit promptings are intended to fill in the gaps in the Word. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible tells you you ought to go to church, but it don't tell you where to go to church. The Bible tells you you ought to share the gospel, but it don't necessarily tell you who you ought to share the gospel. The Bible tells you you ought to help the poor, but it doesn't tell you what poor person you ought to help, right? We realize we can't do everything, but we can do something. And so I want you to understand the promptings of the Holy Spirit are not a substitute for obedience to the Word of God. And they don't negate what the Word has already said. And I just want to give you a little simple example. Let me read to you real quick John 13. 
It says, and after washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again, sat down, and asked them, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's who I am. And since I am your Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example to follow. How many know Jesus has given us an example to follow? Not just in washing feet, but in the way he lived his life. Jesus is our example. Now look at the rest of this. I have given you an example to follow, so do as I have done to you. Do as I have done to you. Think about that. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, sir, slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Look at verse 17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Amen. Let me just tell you, what you know about God and His Word obligates you to do what God has told you to do. Now, let me, just, let me just look back at that last If we go back to that last, last point on the outline. So, I want you to see this. So, we don't have to feel led to do what he has already said. And I, I brought my little prescription bottle with me this morning. You ever went to the doctor and got a prescription? You know what's interesting about that? When, when the doctor writes you this prescription, he gives you instruction, right? This prescription bottle is instruction for your health and your well-being. But you know what the doctor doesn't do? If your prescription bottle says, say, take three times a day with food, you have never got a prescription from a doctor, and the next morning at 8 a.m., the doctor call you up and say, hey, I just want to remind you to take that medicine. <laughs> and then at 12 noon, you've never got a call from the doctor saying, hey, it's lunchtime, and I just want to remind you you're supposed to take that medicine. And then at 6 o'clock that night, he calls you again and says, hey, I just want to remind you, you're supposed to take that medicine. No, he doesn't have to call you because he has already prescribed instruction for you. Yes. How many of you know this is God's prescribed instruction for living? Yes. And we don't have to feel led because what happens is we get super spiritual, right? And all of a sudden, we stop being obedient to the Word of God because we didn't feel led to do it. Well, you know, I just really didn't feel led to do that. Well, you don't have to be led to do what he's already said. He's already said, love your neighbor as yourself. He's already said, treat other people the way you want to be treated. Let me just tell you something. You're never going to go wrong loving people. You're never going to go wrong treating people the way you want to be treated. You're never going to go wrong speaking the truth in love. You're never going to go wrong praying for people and encouraging people and blessing people and being generous and being kind and being caring and being compassionate and being all those things that Jesus modeled for us in His daily life, right? We don't have to be led to do what He already said. We just have to follow the prescription for life and for living. And when we do, guess what happens? If you take your medicine and you got a good doctor and he gave you the right prescription, then you know what will happen? If you'll take your medicine as prescribed, you'll get better. Guess what happens if you do what God says to do? You'll get better. Your marriage will get better. Your finances will get better. Your relationships will get better. Your prayer life will get better. Your word life will get better. Your evangelistic outreaches will get better. Your ministry will get better. If you'll just do what God has already said to do, right? If, we'll just, and I, I, if we just boiled it down, right? Jesus actually boiled the whole Bible down to one word. He said all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in one word, love. If you love God and love people. If you treat people the way you want to be treated, how do you want to be treated? Well, everybody I know wants to be treated with respect, with kindness. Nobody wants to be yelled at, screamed at, criticized, put down, mocked, made fun of, belittled. Nobody wants that. 
Nobody wants to be treated that way. We want to be treated with respect. We want to be treated with kindness. We want to be treated with compassion. We want to be treated like we are somebody because we are somebody. And when you start doing that, when you start doing what He's already said to do, you know what happens? Every time you obey the Word of God, you're in faith. And faith produces the promises of God. Every time you obey the Word of God, every time you forgive, how many know the Bible says forgive? Forgive, just forgive, right? Forgive. Forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. Forgive. Every time you do that, you know what happens? Faith produces the promises of God. Let me give you our last statement, last point on your outline. I want you to see this. Disobedience disconnects us. Disobedience disconnects us from the blessing and the victory of God. I want you to look at this last statement here. But when we embrace faith in a world of fear, we receive what God has for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, you know this scripture is the foundation verse for our youth ministry. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God actually has a good plan for your life, a good plan. Not a plan for disaster. God's not out to get you. God is out to bless you. God doesn't want to snuff you out. God wants to raise you up into a place of intimacy and purpose and power with Him. And when we embrace faith in a world of fear, when we embrace Jesus, when we embrace the Word, when we embrace obedience, faith produces the promises of God. Let's just bow our heads for a moment. We're going to get ready to close in prayer. But if you're here today, and maybe you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Keith, I've never really embraced Jesus. I know about Him, but I don't know Him. And maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you just walked through the doors of the church this morning for the first time. That really doesn't matter. You know what matters is that in your heart of hearts, you know whether or not you are really a child of God. Jesus called it being born again. It's a supernatural birth. It's a transformation that happens on the inside through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus takes up residence in your heart by His Spirit. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never truly embraced Jesus. I've been cynical, I've been critical, or I've just been an unbelieving. I've never really known what I believe, but today I believe. And you feel, I want to just tell you right now, I know you believe because, God, there's a, the Holy Spirit is drawing you, and you're feeling right now that tugging in your heart. I talked about at the very beginning of this message that it is so good that we have a God that we can feel. And right now, you're feeling that drawing of the Holy Spirit, and God is compelling you to come to Him. And He's saying, if you'll just believe in me, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am who I said I am, that I died on the cross and I rose again the third day, and you'll trust me to be your Lord and your Savior, I will save you, I will forgive you of your past, and I will lead you into the future and the hope that I have for you. If that's you this morning, you say right now, Pastor Keith, I want to embrace Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be saved. And know that I am a child of God. I want you just to be really bold, right? Faith moves us. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to stand to your feet all over this building. I want to pray to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe He rose again on the third day. And I believe that He and He alone is the only one worthy of being my Lord and my Savior. And I choose today to commit my life to follow Him. If that's you, I'm going to give you just a few more seconds. And we're going to close out in prayer. 
Faith moves us. God's already moved. Jesus has already done everything he needs to do. Today is your moment to say, I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to count to three, and then we're going to pray together. If you want to stand to accept Christ, I want you to do it. One, two, three. Right now is your time. Just stand to your feet. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you today for the grace and the goodness of the Lord. We thank you that you have given us a spirit of faith. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And Lord, today we receive and we activate the faith of your spirit that you have put in our hearts and in our lives. We trust you and we believe. And God, we ask you today, move us. God, we want to be moved by our faith. And we want to receive the promises that you have made for us, for our families, for our future for the world in which you've called us to live. We thank you for that today. We pray your blessing and your anointing upon us. Go before us and have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise today. Amen. We love you this morning. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.